Welcome to the Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast. I'm Karen Wright Marsh. Do you wonder if Christian faith can be truly lived in today's complex and changing world? Well, this is the place to find broken and beautiful companions for your everyday pilgrimage. Here, you'll find embodied witnesses, Christians from different eras and different cultures. They're people we sometimes call saints, but they were also sinners just like you and me. Today, I'm here to tell you the story of Mary Pike Lee with my friend, the pastor and scholar, Tim Tseng. I'm happy you're here with us. This is the story of Mary Pike Lee, an immigrant who arrived in the American West as a little girl in the early 1900s. Mary was born in Korea into a scholarly, prosperous family. Mary's father welcomed an American missionary and taught him the Korean language, the same missionary who would translate the Bible into Korean to spread both literacy and Christian belief throughout Korean society. The Pike family joined the expanding ranks of new believers, and they flourished as teachers, business owners, and ministers until the day invading Japanese military forces commandeered their home and forced them out into the street. As Korea came under Japanese control, Mary's parents quickly gathered their small children and set sail for Hawaii, where Mr. Pike was promised work on a sugar plantation. Looking back later, Mary would speak of the strong, quiet courage of her parents in the face of such danger. Courage would be required, great courage, because decades of interminable hardship were ahead. Conditions in Hawaii were miserable. The hungry family slept on the ground of a fruit plantation without a nickel to buy bananas. The Pikes moved on to California in 1906, It was a time when there were no more than 7,000 Korean immigrants in all of North America. As they walked down the gangplank of the ship in San Francisco, the Pikes were accosted by a gang of young white men who spit in their faces, kicked up Mrs. Pike's skirts, and shouted insults in an incomprehensible language. Little Mary, only six years old, asked her parents, why would we come to a place where we were not wanted? Mary's father reminded her of the very first Christian missionaries, those Americans who had traveled far across the sea to Korea, only to be harshly persecuted, called white devils by many Koreans. As people of Christ in a new land, the Pikes would endure too. God must surely be leading us in the right direction, Mary's father always said. They had put their faith in God, and were determined to survive. Mr. and Mrs. Pike came to America with high hopes, but they knew that life in America would be tough. They'd study hard and work hard and show Americans their true worth. 
Young Mary would prove her strength over and over. On her first day of elementary school, Mary was surrounded by girls who hit her neck as they mocked her with a song. Ching Chong Chinaman sitting on a wall. Along came a white man and chopped his head off. Childish cruelty was matched by adult racism in the form of exclusionary laws and everyday hatred. There in California, the pikes were shut out of neighborhoods and public spaces designated for whites only. They were dismissed by white Americans who saw them only as nameless Asians, foreigners, outsiders. From one grinding job to the next, the Pike family worked in the fields. They worked in orchards and toxic quicksilver mines until the pay ran out and they were penniless again. As a teenager, Mary herself endured such severe malnutrition that she suffered temporary blindness and could not complete high school. Hungry and struggling, even to the end of their lives, Mary's parents would never achieve the elusive American dream. Faith in God remained her parents' only comfort and refuge. Mary would tell a story from the year 1911. The family had moved again. Mr. Pike still couldn't find decent employment because of what Mary mildly called the negative feelings toward Orientals. In fact, the prejudice was so harsh that townspeople wouldn't even hire her mother to wash their dirty laundry. Without money, the Pikes subsisted on flour and salt. For months, her mother served them one tiny biscuit and a tin cup of water three times a day. Still, when the family sat down to eat, Mary's father always prayed and thanked God for all their blessings. It was something that never failed to irritate Mary, and after one more starvation dinner, the child confronted her dad. She asked, how could they possibly be grateful? Mr. Pike responded with a question of his own. He asked, don't you remember why we came here? The rest of their family was back in Korea, suffering even more under the brutal Japanese occupation. They would, he said, thank God, no matter what the circumstance. Mary speaks of this as the moment when, for the first time, she saw beyond her own discomfort and woke up to the suffering of others. And the very next morning, she got up to hunt for a house cleaning job. Mary, who was only 11 years old, found work with a family who required her to come before school and after school and then all day on Saturday and Sunday, and they paid her only $1 a week. The young Korean girl trembled at the injustice of her situation. Her employers were church-going Americans, white people who never knew that her family had taken pity on those hapless American missionaries in Asia who had taught them the Korean language, who had joined their Presbyterian church, who had gone house to house to spread their gospel of love. And as Mary spent another Sunday ironing from morning until nightfall, she asked herself, where was their loving God now in lonely California? 
Well, Mary wouldn't find God in the elegant Presbyterian sanctuary on Main Street. When a friendly high school classmate learned that Mary was Presbyterian, just as she was, the white girl invited Mary to meet her at the church the next Sunday morning. When Mary and her siblings arrived for the worship service, they were blocked at the front steps by the minister who snarled, I don't want dirty Japs in my church. Go to hell, as he sent them away. The Pikes found their own ways to create Christian community. Whether they lived in a shack or an abandoned barn, on Sundays they invited other immigrant families to come over for worship. Everyone sang hymns and prayed. Mr. Pike preached a short sermon, and then Mrs. Pike shared whatever meager food they had for lunch without ever passing around an offering plate. Somehow, together, they always had enough to share, confident that God would lead and that God would provide. Even in the face of despair, they held fast to the promise from Hebrews 11 that says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In her own time, Mary took up her family's strong faith and risky hope. She married a Korean man and the two made a life together, planting rice and selling fruit. When Henry, the oldest of their three sons, earned his Ph.D. at Georgetown University, Mary saw it as the fulfillment of hope for things not seen. She would live long enough to see oppressive race laws change, which she saw as evidence of a long-awaited miracle from heaven. Mr. and Mrs. Pike had followed God in trust and hope. Mary and her husband had worked hard, studied hard, and honored Christ their whole lives long, even as they, too, suffered. At the end of her life, Mary Pike Lee told her story, saying that she wanted young people to know the hardships that Asian Americans have faced so that they can appreciate their blessings today. The personal sacrifices that she made were finally nothing spectacular, but a good firm foundation on which our future generations will find it easier to build their dreams. Mary and her family didn't assume that God owed them a life of material security. They didn't interpret their suffering as a sign that God had failed them or that their own faith was faulty. They just carried on somehow, holding to the belief that God must surely be leading them in the right direction. The Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast is the audio companion to my book, Vintage Saints and Sinners, 25 Christians Who Transformed My Faith. To learn more, come on by my website, karenwrightmarsh.com. Please rate and review this podcast on iTunes and invite your friends to join us. Now, for my conversation about Mary Pike Lee with Tim Seng. I'm so happy to welcome my friend, Dr. Tim Seng. He works with InterVarsity Fellowship as the Pacific Area Director of Graduate and Faculty Ministries. Tim has a background in the church. He grew up in New York City, is ordained by the American Baptist Churches, and has a PhD in the history of Christianity. Thank you, Tim, for joining me today. Thank you. Glad to be here. 
Tim, when you think about Mary Pike Lee's experience, I know each experience is unique, but when you think about her life and her family, are there any aspects that seem to you typical or characteristic of the experience of other Asian uh, immigrants, Asian American Christians in America? In many ways, uh, her life and her family's life are very typical of, of Asian American immigrants uh, who came to this country at, at the beginning of the 20th century. They came early expecting uh, this Christian country to be one that would welcome them based upon some of their experiences with uh, American and, and European immig- uh, missionaries. But um, coming to this country, experiencing the hardship, the anti-Asian hostility and discrimination was often a traumatic experience for um, for many of these immigrants. Uh, and th- that, I think, was not so different. Mm. I found it so painful to think of these Koreans who had welcomed the missionaries and brought them in, taught them Korean, and really supported their work in Korea. And they come here as Christians and then are rejected at the steps of a church. Yeah, that is probably one of the more traumatic experiences. Even today, I have noticed that some of the more, the more recent uh, Asian immigrants say the same thing. They, they, they expected this country to be a Christian country to welcome them with open yeah. arms. And then they discover that that's not entirely true. And even among people in the church, they don't often feel very welcomed. At the same time, I'd have to say that Christians were also uh, among those who were the most willing to embrace uh, Asian immigrants and, and Korean immigrants at that time as well. So maybe that's one of the reasons why for Mary, she was able to retain a positive and optimistic and hopeful spirit despite all of her suffering, that she might have been able to find Christians who who were able to encourage her. And in fact, her faith, I think, was a great source of her hopefulness as she struggled to, to raise a family in this country. Yeah, in her autobiography, faith uh, the faith of her parents comes through again and again. And I don't know if you remember this story where she and her family have no money and her mother makes these little biscuits out of flour and water, and there's a tin cup of water. So by having this one little biscuit with a cup of water three times a day, and her father insists on saying a prayer of thanksgiving, of a blessing before the meal. And she, it, it just expresses her outrage, really, at, you know, why would we be grateful while we're starving? And I found that so incredibly uh, powerful that her father and mother would insist on gratitude in that situation. And I wonder what is it about their faith that allowed them to to hold to that posture of gratitude? I'm wondering that too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, I, I wonder whether or not, in, when I looked at um, many of the Asian Americans or Korean and Chinese and Japanese Christians who came to this country, who I, I think they found in their faith something that could that could help them overcome the realities that they faced. And I, I think some of that was tied to their belief that God could transform their people. So uh, Mary and her parents' connection to the Korean independence movement was probably um, due to their belief that Christian faith was going to do something tr- dramatic and different. So that all the suffering that, that they experienced in this life, that God would eventually take care of that, both pol- politically and, and also in their personal spiritual lives as well. So I'm, I just think that that's a wonderful story of how, how um, people can find resources in their faith to, to address and to, 
overcome and to and still find ways to retain hope. I have wondered about her notion of suffering, and I think Mm -hmm. that's what you're speaking to here, that suffering is part of a a larger purpose that God has for people. Yes, I think so, too. You know, remember, the the folks in China and Korea who were fighting for independence there uh, saw that the suffering was part of the process of bringing these countries into into the modern world and and, and finding some independence. So, So I think that that was all very much part of it, the political side mm-hmm. as well as the personal faith. So I, I really admire these these folks. They 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 have <laughs> they, they've learned to endure suffering and saw that their 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 faith was a way to to walk through it and and overcome it. Yeah, and her parents continually say God led us in this direction. They, they speak of people back home who being tortured and killed in that political violence. That their suffering is really nothing in light of their friends and family at home. Mm-hmm. So I guess there is something to that comparison that they make. I think that whenever, when, when I hear, when I read about her story, it reminds me of my, my parents too, who came to this country in the sixties and they struggled. Uh, they didn't uh, talk about racial discrimination to the extent that Mary Peck did, but, but um, they, they also had to figure out and find the way. And they were trying to follow uh, God's calling throughout their journey. So I appreciate the suffering that they went through. My, my mom actually had to support our family because she uh, was a nurse and uh, and my father was a church planter. So in order for our, our for our family to survive in New York City, we she she provided the income and he tried to plant a church <laughs> or he did and he actually was quite successful. But in the beginning, it was very it was quite a bit of um of sacrifice that we all we all had to make. I often wouldn't see my mom at night because she would work the graveyard shift and. Even as young teenagers, we we were pretty much left to ourselves, even earlier than that. Uh, So I feel a great deal of appreciation for my elders. They they did work very hard. uh, But at the same time, I kind of feel guilty because I haven't suffered as much. Um, The hardship that they went through um, was not something that I really experienced as much as a next generation Asian American. Even though I know that there are signs of trauma that's present among my peers and even among the next generation of Asian Americans, uh, I still feel like um, when I read <laughs> her story, jeez. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, and I love, in, I think it's at the end of her autobiography, she says, like, I want all you young people to know that, like, you don't know how mm-hmm, easy you got mm-hmm. it. <laughs> you know, things were so much worse in 1905. So I have wondered, you know, if you could put words in her mouth, what do you think she would say to your kids. <laughs> she probably would be appalled at how materialistic we were and how we walk around life expecting to have so much. <laughs> so yeah, so, yeah I, I think she, she, she probably would have continued to retell her stories over about suffering. <laughs> well, and what do you think that she has to teach to uh, white Christians, to people like me in the American church? Oh, wow. Well, I'd say perhaps to... Um, Teach white Christians to be more empathetic, to to see mm-hmm. her as an Asian immigrant through a different set of lenses than the ones that uh, most of us Americans, including many younger Asian Americans, have inherited with regards to Asians. Uh, for instance, one lens would be to see Asians as always foreigners and consequently not as human, perhaps as as most normal Americans, and therefore more capable mm. of experiencing suffering. But I think instead of just 
dismissing that experience or that using that perception, it might be helpful to be more empathetic to the actual suffering that goes on and to and to, to see that th- this is actually quite real. And just because she's an Asian doesn't mean that she her sufferings can be dismissed. Uh, and, and I think the other pers- thing that she can teach is to not simply render Asians, Americans invisible, uh, which is another the other side of the coin. So, so right. I think uh, her voice and her suffering are, if they can generate empathy instead of, um, uh, instead of ignorance are, I think that would be a great lesson for, for her. And also for, you know, my generation of Asian Americans to learn as well. It's such a gift to have her autobiography because she lived to be what, like mm-hmm. 90 years old and she never finished high school. And yet, you know, we have her whole story laid out for us from the very beginning in 1905, I think, to, to the mm-hmm. 1990s. So it's just incredible that we have her witness today that we can hear her yes, story. Yes, I'm, I'm grateful for, for, for these documents that are actually published. I'm sure there are other stories that of untold people that haven't been lifted up yet, but I'm, I'm glad that she, hers in particular, was, was, was made available to us. Great. Well, Tim, thank you for talking about our wonderful older sister, Mary Peckley. Thank you. In her biography, A Quiet Odyssey, Mary Peckley writes this. My parents came to America with high hopes for a better way of life. Mothers said they expected life to be difficult, not knowing the language, without money, but they had put their faith in God and were determined to survive whatever hardships came their way. That faith was their only comfort and refuge throughout their lives. Now, I am humbled and troubled by Mary's story of lifelong faithfulness in the face of persecution. And I ask myself, am I looking, really looking into the faces of my neighbors? And how can I better see them and love them as God does? Thank you for joining me today. I'm Karen Wright Marsh, and I'm the Executive Director of Theological Horizons, a ministry based in Charlottesville at the University of Virginia. I'd love to hear from you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Theological Horizons. Come by my website, KarenWrightMarsh.com. You'll find out more about the Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast, get show notes, and learn about my book, Vintage Saints and Sinners. You can download free printable study guides for your small group or just for yourself and keep the conversation going. Thanks to the generosity of the Lloyd and Vivian Noble Foundation and to the Friends of Theological Horizons. I hope you'll support the Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast with a tax-deductible gift to Theological Horizons. Go to theologicalhorizons.org giving or donate on Venmo at theological-horizons. The Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast is produced by Gabriel Hunter Chang. Our music is by Will Marsh of Gold Connections.